0: Scratch it for the bugs. You scratch it a little bit. <laughs>
1: you guys know what's a great word
0: to say in ASMR mode?
1: No. Garbanzo beans.
0: You have <laughs> such the perfect tenor to your voice for that. Garbanzo <laughs> beans. But this uh, portable charger thing, it's
2: changed my life. Want me to buy you one for Father's Day? <laughs> Happy Father's Day! Tom. <laughs> I will.
0: <coughs> Sorry, I swallowed that laugh down the wrong tube. She, you could get her, you could get her a trip to somewhere, or that's a huge just, gift. <laughs> just, just a picture
1: of that's our.
2: Massive
0: yeah just a picture of- she's pretty laid
1: back you could just get her like a car or like <laughs> or like a trip to cancun ever, like
2: she's so chill she'll ever, just she'll just be okay with it you yeah. ever seen those commercials where the cars are the driver with the bow <laughs> on it we do that every now and then i just love it no. she's chill she's get her she's trip tripped. it's fine <laughs> Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 67 of the Backroads and Bonfires podcast. I am your host, Adam Pedersen. Joined every Thursday, you'll hear the smooth baritones of Ryan Burkhart. How you doing, Burk?
1: Now I feel like I have to talk lower because (laughs) you
2: introduced me that way. (laughs) And you'll hear the also... uh, Also smooth bear tones of Tom Hickody. You
0: don't have to pander, Pet. I know my voice sucks.
2: No, Tom, your (laughs) voice is like peanut butter on velvet, baby.
0: (laughs) Peanut butter on velvet. It's like lamb and tuna fish. Oh,
2: (laughs) man. Well, I wanted to open this up. Uh, I wanted to do a follow-up on the last episode where it was only me and Burke. And uh, I told Burke about how I gave a girl in high school 12 MC. Jones soda bottles.
0: Yeah, that was a terrible with gift with flowers in them. <laughs> I agree with Burke. I'm and still reeling from hearing it. <laughs> why couldn't you give her a bouquet of flowers and then the Jones soda? That's a great question.
2: <laughs> it's amazing how the 17 year old mind works. Yeah, yeah. but I, I had a. I didn't know if if you wanted to also add to it. If you had Tom, any, you know I have a any story. amazing gift yeah. ideas. Ugh. He knows I stories. have. a I he, want to hear it. so why he
0: brought this up.
2: <laughs> the listeners want to know.
0: Do you really think they want to know this one? Yes. Okay. Give
1: the people what they want.
0: So I hope my wife doesn't listen because it is still to this day probably the most thoughtful gift I've ever given. <laughs> and it wasn't
1: to her? It wasn't to her. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah.
0: High school girlfriend. Uh, she loved Lucky Charms but only the marshmallows. Like, So like she would literally pick through her bowl of Lucky Charms and take out everything else and just do the marshmallows. So I bought like nine boxes of Lucky Charms <laughs> and gave her a box for Valentine's Day, gave her a box of oh, man. Lucky Charms marshmallows only <laughs> before they offered I mean, her That a is store. a lot of work. Yeah, Dude. That's how so you just gift. sorted through. 100%. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I ate some along the way. You touched yeah.
1: them all with your fingers. And
0: yeah. <laughs> 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 you put them in a the bag. This was pre-COVID where none of that Yeah, mattered. He washed yeah. his hands.
2: Yeah. How did she like it?
0: Uh... Out she I think she was oh. it seemed like she was very impressed. Probably
2: knocked the doors
0: off. Yeah. It, she was very impressed. Yeah.
1: Is that a saying? It, no, it's blown. Blow, her, there blow it, your doors it, off. Blow, blow there the, it is. Blow Knock your off. Socks off. off. Yeah. Socks, that's what I was yeah. looking for.
0: So I'm kind of looking for the equivalent, like to try to give something super thoughtful to my wife. My wife's just so chill with everything. Like, like she you could get her you could get her a trip to somewhere or <laughs> That's a huge just, gift. Just just a picture of That's our It's massive. Yeah, just a picture of She's pretty laid back. You could just get her like a car
1: or like <laughs> or like a trip to Cancun. You like ever,
2: she's so chill. She'll just seen, she'll just be okay with it. You ever <laughs> seen those commercials where the cars are the driver with a bow <laughs> on it? We do that every now and then. I just love it. No, she's chill. She, get her a trip, trip. It's fine. No, but like I,
0: you didn't let me finish. So, Unless the trip uh, is to like
2: I, des moines i don't know know. sioux city neemaha yeah yeah. (laughs)
0: we go to neemaha to look at some old (laughs) all expenses paid feed mill or something (laughs) all expenses paid neemaha um but you could you know you could get her something elaborate or you could get her just a thing of flowers or just a card or just a picture of the kids or a slideshow like she kind of views it all the same you know a little bit she just wants you know she wants to be thought of but like I don't know that there there's anything that really trips her trigger. So, it's,
1: so it's when the out. high school girlfriend came down from the sugar high yeah. of eating an entire bowl of marshmallows, <laughs> was she very grateful? I don't
0: think she ever ate it. I think. I think she just kept it.
1: Wow. So Maybe still has it. I'm just thinking about this logic. I'm not going to ask. <laughs> I'm thinking about this logically. I think we all eat like Lucky Charms and we're like, man, the marshmallows are great. They're clearly the best part. But, you but if you gave crunch. me an entire bowl yeah. of them, I, mean, I think after one bite I'd be
2: like, this is too yeah. much of a good thing. Yeah, I think yeah. your teeth would be like pink and blue it's, too. It's a
0: lot the same reason that you eat gross brussels sprouts with a steak. Like you have to. You have to have that offsetting bite, you know. It's
1: got yeah, too much They do make Oops all marshmallows now, right? Yeah, yeah they do.
0: Yeah, they, they stole that idea from me. Took all the
2: freaking work
1: out yeah. of it.
0: I think I should sue. You should. Yeah.
1: Do you know a lawyer?
0: Uh, not, not, a, not a good one. <laughs>
1: Somebody who Call specializes Morgan Morgan. in breakfast food
0: litigation? Yeah. <laughs> it's very specialized. Proprietary <laughs>
1: breakfast food litigation. Yeah. Yes. That would be a great like a specialty. Industry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Only the biggest firms have a guy in that area.
0: It's like bird law. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, all, right. all right. I thought of something. The other day, and I thought, who better to give their opinions as well as you two? So I was thinking of the best like breakfast-slash-dessert breads, and I got a top three. I want to know your guys' top three. My top okay. three was easy. Mm-hmm. Pumpkin bread, number one. Lemon poppy seed, number two. Zucchini, number three. Oh. Banana bread doesn't even make the top three.
1: I have a question. Yes. I need
2: a clarification.
1: Okay. Is coffee cake a breakfast bread? I'd give it to you. I think coffee cake is so funny because... I'd give it to you. We will serve it to our kids for breakfast, right? hmm It's just cake. Yes. But if our kids woke up and was like, can I have ice cream for <laughs> breakfast? We'd be like, No. It's breakfast. That's too much sugar. Here, eat this coffee cake. (laughs) Here,
2: have this different form of (laughs) sugar.
1: We just put the word coffee in front of it and we're fine with it, but it's just cake. If coffee cake's allowed, it's my number one. I've never had lemon poppy seed lemon poppy seed bread. I don't really know anybody who likes lemon poppy seed bread, and frankly, I don't want to know anybody who likes lemon (laughs) Uh poppy seed bread. (laughs) I'm on an island. I don't like anything lemon flavored in terms of my desserts, like Lemon meringue pie. Oh yeah. geez. You and Le- I'd be
2: great roommates. We'd never lemon, steal each other's lemon food. Lemon bars? Hard pass. They're the best. <laughs> We'd never steal each other's food. We'd be great roommates.
1: Banana bread. Probably number two by default. Yeah. I don't eat a lot of sweet breads. Tom, where uh, are you at in this conversation? Uh,
0: I I feel wholly inadequate to have the conversation. I have an opinion on like
2: every food item in America.
0: Breakfast for me is like it's eggs and bacon and maybe some hash browns if you're gonna get wild. Yeah. yeah, I don't eat a lot of sweets for breakfast. I I
1: don't like sweets in general too much. I would like to drink my sugar pop. Is where I uh, our soda for our East Coast friends. Um, that's where I.
0: Isn't there one German that listens listens to this podcast? Or uh,
2: we've got one percent listenership. One percent of our listenership in Germany, Ethiopia,
0: Ireland. <laughs> nice and.
2: Slovenia and I think Bosnia.
0: I'm amazing. Hey, so, shout out Bosnia. Yeah, I'm actually out huge Bos. in
2: Slovenia. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure we picked them up about a so month ago. If we <laughs> yeah, showed started up,
0: coming on, if we showed up in a pub in like Ireland, would we like be kind
2: as long important. as I get us backroads and bonfire shirts made, <laughs> just so we stand out a little bit more?
0: That's amazing. <laughs>
2: Yeah, um, I don't I don't I like I like savory
1: foods for breakfast. Give me eggs, hash yeah. browns, all the different breakfast meats. Now where do you guys rank the breakfast meats? Ooh. Are you bacon, sausage, ham, steak?
2: What's your yep. top four? Oh
0: my gosh. Uh definitely bacon, number one. Then sausage, then steak for me.
2: As long as it's good, like thick cut bacon.
0: It's gotta I, be a thin steak for breakfast, so I, that's where I'm at. I have it's honestly be a thin steak.
2: I'm embarrassed to admit this. I've never had a steak for breakfast before. You've never had steak ever in my life, have you? Mm, me? I mean, I'm like a steak guy. I've never I think had it maybe. For breakfast. I think maybe once
1: I did because I think I'm so obsessed with pancakes. I wanted I to say I had steak and eggs for breakfast.
2: There you go. Yeah, great truck stop breakfast.
0: Um, Wait, you get steak from a truck stop?
2: Well, I just always like think steak and eggs truck stop go together. Do they not? I don't maybe, maybe know. the big ones where the truckers stop with are Across the road. So nice. I've been learning Danish. Okay. okay. Do Hit you want to hear me say? Danish egg? has a lot of good sweets. Do you want to hear me say
1: I had a steak and eggs for breakfast? Yes. Okay. If you actually know it. Yeah. Jaispista? Don't laugh at me. and Jaispista in both o egg? Okay. Till more, Mel. Jaispista in both o egg? Till. More milk. <laughs> That's impressive. I had Why a steak and eggs for Danish. breakfast. Why? <laughs> yeah. Because I've always wanted to be bilingual and my grandma was full blood Dane. Okay. And so, like growing up, she'd teach me little Danish phrases and till the day she died, she loved when I would tell her I love her in Danish, If I'm being honest, Spanish would be the most useful language for me to learn. Like yeah. there's no one in my life I can speak Danish to. So I got a little chance to speak it. I think
2: I think every episode you should tell us something new in Danish. I should.
1: Yeah. One of my favorite Danish words is turtle, and it's skill paddle. skillpel. That's Yeah, it looks like skilled paddle or skilled patty is what it looks like, but it's pronounced skillpel. Skillpel. Turtle. Yeah, there you go. My grandma's high school was Medicine Lake, <laughs> Medicine. and their mascot was the Honkers. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a goose. She was a, my grandma always joked her out how she was a medicine leg honker. That's so, what she was. So oh so you guys want to know out. another great mascot from Montana? So my brother's <laughs> college roommate Mike was from um, <laughs> Montana, and their mascot was the Sugar Beaters. <laughs> what is a sugar beater? Well, it's because they the area was known for sugar beets. But he ah, had his high school yes. helmet in their dorm room, and it just said Beaters on the side. Oh
2: Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the Sugar Beaters, <laughs>
1: great high school mascot name. So, uh, my family, my my ancestors, sold the farm lands there, but in a stroke of genius, mm-hmm. they put in the fine print that they retained the mineral rights. That's amazing. And it ended up on the Bakken Oil Formation. Yep, Yeah, the big boom in Williston, North yeah. Dakota, like the yep. Bakken Oil Formation. Yep. So... Boy, that's that'd be great that'd be great if what a stroke of luck. We'd be like the clampets in the Dude. Beverly Hills. <laughs> 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 if you guys see me with like a diamond tooth, you know the oil money came in. <laughs> Bur-
0: Burke
2: Burk shows up oil money. Yeah. shows up to baseball practice with a grill. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's when you know
2: I won't yeah. say anything. You'll just know the gotcha, oil money know. came in. Oil
0: money's here. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. In fact, uh, that's where my fam my wife's family's from is from Well, they're from Bismarck mainly, but so that's on the very <laughs> southeast side of the Bakken and their stories about the development of that area is just mm-hmm. wild.
2: Uh, 1B, very close 1B sausage right behind bacon.
0: Ted <laughs> wasn't leaving this. No, he just came back. I've been yeah. thinking.
1: It depends on the day between sausage and bacon. Yeah. If it's on a breakfast sandwich, sausage is the superior meat. I agree. But if it's just like laying next to some eggs. It's evenly distributed
0: and it doesn't, like, it doesn't pull apart. Yeah. yeah. And if
1: it's yeah. laying next to some eggs, though, it's probably bacon. Yeah. For sure. And then ham is probably fourth.
0: Yeah. I do love ham. I, I don't do enough ham in my – my wife hates ham. Oh, um, man. That's probably the biggest disagreement we have in our marriage. Ham's great. I do love ham.
2: Well, I
1: have some friends who don't like <laughs> ham either. I don't, These don't get are the it. important things. But if we're talking – yeah, if we're talking between um, both and sphenicode, <laughs> <laughs> beef and pork – it's the better breakfast food i pork, agree pork for sure yeah yep. it's the better more meal.
0: it
2: is <laughs> i'm such, just so pumped i get to use it a little i yeah. love it i love it well that town uh sounds like you know nice little small town people probably picking each other up a lot of community and that's the direction we're going to take this podcast this time we're going to talk a little more serious stuff. Keep the funny stuff for another time. We're going to talk about community, uh, picking each other up, selflessness, just how you need to be there for your neighbor in times of uh, struggle. You know, especially with what the world is like right now and stuff. So, we're going to have a, a nice serious chat about community, how important it is. Um, yeah, we'll just have some fun talking about that. Who knows where the conversation will go? But uh, just one of you guys want to start off with uh, any thoughts you might have? Tom, you moved away and yeah. from your hometown in Alta here and then you yeah. came
1: back. Like what brought you back to Alta?
0: Yeah, so that's a, a long story. I'll try to shorten it up as much as I can. Hey,
2: as long as it doesn't suck, take all the time you need.
0: <laughs> um, so yeah, I went to college and then grad school and and kinda was kinda going down that path in uh in Des Moines area, had a job after college kind of lined up and then um You know, of course, my 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 father has a has a disability and um, all my brothers were off the farm at that point in time. And and then right around the time I was graduating grad school, um, my grandfather died and, you know, him and my mom and my uncle were doing most of the work on the farm. So there was a kind of a moment there where. My mom was a little overwhelmed with everything she had to do with that. And, um, you know, just called my brother and was like, hey, we got to get back home. Like, we got to figure something out. And so I took a job. And you
2: she, called Jordan, Jordan me, and, Jordan. and said that?
0: And Jordan had, I think. No, he, his mom called
2: Jordan. Yeah, him. Oh, your my, mom called. My okay. mom
0: called me and what kind of had a, you know, she was definitely in a headspace that I hadn't recognized before. She had a lot on her plate. She had a lot on her plate and none of us were home. And Jordan, I think already had independently recognized that. He's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, he was kind of looking at internships in business and he's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go home and farm. I'm like, all right, you know, I'm going to, you know, get out of Des Moines and I'm going to move back to Sioux city close to home. And I started a law firm in Sioux city. Um, And it just wasn't the right fit for me right away. So about, Probably a year after we were living in Sioux City, we moved back home. And it, you know, in a lot of ways, it's like you're the one that they expected to be in the city and doing great things or whatever. So mm-hmm. at first, it felt like, embarrassingly to say it now, it felt like for me at the time, being young and dumb, felt like failure a little bit. Like it was a choice, but it was like, I'm back in Alta, you know, like, you know, look at me. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, so that's kinda of how I ended up back here was was that way and for a while it was almost like didn't feel voluntary, um, even though it was. But you know, I'd like to hear your experiences on it too, because I now I've been back here for eleven years and mm-hmm. I would say my my position has drastically changed, um, on how I view small towns and small community. Mm-hmm. I think I'm 100 times a better person than I would have been otherwise. Um, and that's grown over time. And, and so I want to hear first, before we get into all of that, like same same question to you, Burke.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in a small town pretty similar to the size of Alta just outside of Des Moines, Woodward. And I had a great childhood. I We lived in town until I was six or seven and then my parents built a house a mile outside of town oh. on, on on the highway but my whole life revolved around woodward and i loved things like we had our town celebration thing was called friends and neighbors day and i remember as a kid like my brother's practicing a skit on the deck for friends and neighbors day because there was a lip sync contest at the park and then going and performing that and the street dance and the and it was a small town of like you know, a thousand to 2000 people. Um, and I don't know, I just really had a good childhood in a small town and I, I come from a big family. My dad had 12 or my dad was one of 12, um, came from a huge family in Woodward. My school district was Woodward Granger. My mom came from, um, a family that was big in Granger. So like, I just felt like I had a lot of relatives, um i like that everybody knew me i know for some people they hate that about small towns that they feel like oh everybody knows everything about you i liked that about small towns the thing is is like as much as i loved woodward at one point i thought my dream was to go back to woodward but it's not i my wife and i were both youngest children i think we wanted to kind of blaze our own trail and be away from home but not too far away from home so sure we I got my first teaching job in Northwest Iowa and we moved up here to a different community than Alta, um, and uh, if I'm being totally honest, that was hard. I didn't feel like I fit in in that community, and that was that was difficult. Um, and then when we moved to Alta, it just felt like home, like right away. And now I can't. I mean, I can't predict the future. Family stuff like you, Tom, could have me move back to Central Iowa if I had needed to help take care of family. But outside of things like that, I can't ever see me leaving because I just love it here. Yeah. And yeah. Alta has the kind of childhood that I had that I want my kids to have. Yep. So that's kind of how I ended up here. Yeah, right on. And Ped, you never left really, right? I mean, outside of college.
2: Yeah, I never did. Yeah, like what Tom was talking about, I, just, I, I moved back home. I was... Man, when I went to college, I did not have a purpose or a goal really at all. And so college was done, and I was like, oh, well, what do I do now? So I just, I did what I think tons of college kids do. They just moved back home just because. And because I didn't have a job or anything lined up. I started working here, and then I realized that I like cattle as I was working on the farm with my dad and got into that. And so I bought cattle, and yeah, I've never really left, but I will. It's small town, is, it's it's unique. I don't think people that, or maybe from one quite understand what it's like. And I,
1: I I was going to say something similar to that. Like today I was, I don't know what media I came across or whatever, but I was like, I don't think people in big cities honestly understand how great it is in small towns. Yeah. Like I think a lot of times people in big cities maybe thumb their nose at small town America or just think it's not that great. And I'm like, no, you guys have no idea. Like yeah. it's so great living in a small town. It really is. The mm-hmm.
0: the reason I feel that way too is like when I talk to a lot of friends in the city and I'm not I'm not feeling that way towards the city. I think it's a great life for people that want to choose that too, but I felt like I was a person after I'd self-reflected on childhood cuz I didn't have a knowledge of how great it was or an a, an appreciation for how great it was growing up. Um, and I'm again, a little embarrassed about that. Um, but as an adult, when I came back, you get forced, like if you're someone that can do things and and you're someone that has a conscience and really wants to try, you get put in positions. You have to do things in small towns. Yeah. And we need each other. I needed that. Yep, Like I needed that. So it's like in one, like in the big city, you know, Every rec league or you know community event has someone hired to do it, and you drop your kids off and do your thing. A lot of the times, where here it's like to make that happen, you have to be the one that does it a lot of the time, or you have to rely on other people that are also super busy doing stuff to to do that. And if someone's doing something and you're seeing them put in that effort, that you you don't, feel called to do don't it. Don't you think you know? in big
1: cities? It feels more like all that community stuff is a service that other people do for you. Mm -hmm. And in small towns, you're sort of like, well, we have to do it together.
0: Yeah, it has to happen and it has to be us. Yeah, that does it.
2: Correct. For
1: sure. Like I have family that lives in a big Des Moines suburb and I don't know, maybe they have a totally different perspective. But when I go visit there, I'm like, this isn't. This isn't appealing to me. It's yep. just so big. It's just like I said for me. I didn't want to be lost in the crowd. I wanted
2: mm-hmm.
1: people in town to know who I was and yep. and stuff like that. And so, um,
0: the thing that's kind of cool, like I I was telling you guys before this, and I'll say it here. It's fine. Um, I was a job that I had kind of uh, lucked into an interview for that would have taken me out of the community here recently you know good promotion good everything went through the process and at the end it was like everything was a hit in in terms of what i would feel like a career progression would for me would be mm-hmm. doing what i'm doing and at the end driving home i'm just like well man we just got this baseball league going and man i i just started in a couple public service things and i really like the people i'm working with and man, I've got a lot of friends and community that look out for my kids. Like, you know, my kid can run across the street and end up at the park just when I'm mowing a lawn and someone I don't even know very well texts me. He's like, Hey, I got miles. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, and it was just all those like community pieces and I'm not saying I'm holier than thou, but it's like, that was the factor for me. I'm like, I can't leave here. Like Mm -hmm. there's just too much that means more than money. Um, and you know, I I really do believe that today, eleven years later, and it, it it's it's and again a little bit shameful that I ever thought that moving back here was in some way or another a, like loss, or, a loss or a step or back. Some, yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It it's it just very shameful that I ever thought that way. So
1: my wife and I always had a dream of like moving to a small town, staying for a long time, and trying to become pillars of the community and just doing good for people, um, in whatever way fit our talents and our abilities. Um, and I've always kept like a smaller friend group. Um, I've always had this saying of, I would rather mean everything to some people than something to everybody. Mm -hmm. And I've, I kept a small friend group that I was totally invested in. And I feel sort of similar like that now, like I'd rather, be the guy that coached baseball for a long time. And, and like, I got to go to a former player's wedding this weekend and that was really special for me. And I know some, I know some coaches that they're just always looking for the next school, the next bigger school. Right. Oh, I coached a one a school. And Mm -hmm. as soon as I get a two A offer, I'm going to go. And I've had people text me like, Hey, did you see this three a school came open? This baseball job. Are you interested? And I'm like, I'm not interested at all. Like not in the least bit. Um, I just want to make Alta Aurelia baseball as great as it can be. I'm not using this as a stepping stone to mm-hmm. to take a 3A or a 4A job. Not at all. Because, yep. um, again, I'd rather be everything to some people than something to everybody.
2: One thing I've uh, in the past, I'd say since I started this podcast, I always thought, like, all right, yeah. I'm going to hopefully, like, make this big and have it blow up. And then I can go move to somewhere like nashville or something cool and do it but like in the last few months i've like started thinking like i've started thinking about my church and how involved i am there and what i like doing with the church and like the small community i grew up in and like my friendships with you guys and other people and then i've i've really started to like think now i think this is something where it could be you know the nice thing about like podcasting you don't have to go somewhere you can do it remotely but i started thinking like well that was A crazy thought because I had in my head like well there's all these opportunities elsewhere that we don't have here but we also have tons of opportunities and advantages that people in bigger cities can't ever say they have like with um, like you were talking about your son might or daughter might run across the street to a park if you're mowing or something I remember when I don't know 10 years ago maybe I went to Walmart and I happened to see one of our friends kids like wandering around really scared and so I walked up to him and he was like four. I was like, hey, what's going on, buddy? And he goes, bad. He goes, I can't find my mom. I'm really scared. And like, and so I just like took him by the hand and I just like called his mom and I said, hey, I found your kid. And like, I'm not saying that it happens in a big city, like you're going to get taken or something, but just stuff like that gives you a little more security with life yeah. and growing up here. And especially who knows what like, i don't know seems like things are a little crazy now with cities and stuff in the world but it's just crazy everywhere really but yeah i don't know I, i've caught myself like in the past few months saying no i don't want to leave here if i can hopefully make this work i'd rather do it from here maybe occasionally you leave and go visit but yeah. never actually stay
0: yeah that's a great point and like you're talking to the point too a little bit of paying it forward um you know, for me now that I'm older, it's like, you realize what people did for you in your worst times. Um, yeah. You know, we, uh, we had the unfortunate circumstance, you know, years and years ago, uh, got in a bad car accident with our family in the nineties. And I think I was 11. Um, you know, my dad was paralyzed. My brother passed away. Um, required my dad to be in rehab for quite a while. And so we were kind of here and there and everywhere with community members and family members and, and being in a small town, like I think was the only way we got through it, to be honest, because you know, the meals and just the people that take you to practices, the people that the teachers that give you extra time because they know what an 11 year olds going through at the time. And you know, part of the reason to stay in a place like this is because the people before you that were here did so much for you to make sure that you were going to be okay. That it's like, it's my job now, hopefully at some point, not, you know, knock on wood, you don't want anything bad to happen to anyone. But I just know that in certain city experiences, like that could happen to you and your next door neighbor might not even know. And, And here it's like everyone knows, and there's some, there's maybe slight negatives to that, but there's also like the comfort of, hey, this family down the street that doesn't know me from anyone just took me under their wing because they know I'm part of this town and they know what I just went through and what we're going through, and they helped us get through it. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's that that's another huge piece is just just how big the support network is. When you talk about big city, I think about big support and out here where, you know, we're areas of big support mm-hmm. and um, that, that means everything to me. If, if we would have to go through it again or if anyone else had to go through it, I hope, you know, I, I would be there in that same capacity for someone else, you know? So.
2: Yeah. I remember like when that, when that happened, obviously like being the same age as you, I don't think, because, I mean, obviously, from your perspective, you might have understood, like, what it meant. But I think, like, me being 11 years old when that happened with your family, I don't think I understood really, like, what all was going on, like, behind the scenes with, like, people helping out and really understood maybe the impact yeah. of the community then. Because, I don't know, you can only understand maybe so much when you're 10 or 11 years old, but uh, do, you, do you remember any, like, specific... Examples of things people did or not? Yeah, I mean, like,
0: you know, my uncle and aunt took us in for five, six months, three boys, you know, and and every bass, you know, we're in basketball, we're in baseball. And my dad, you know, my dad was active in coaching and everything. And, um, you know, I went was taken everywhere by all the other families, the teachers, the farmers, the whatevers, you mm-hmm. know, of my friends and your family, you know, like everybody just kind of, you know, they made it the best possible scenario for a horrible situation. And, you know, I, and the other, you know, the other thing that makes it a silver lining is, you know, my dad has to constantly go through it daily with being the way that he is today um, Mm -hmm. in his situation. And so, you know, as you grow and deal with loss, it's like, well, I can stand up. You know, I I can go for a run other, some people can't do that. Mm -hmm. And, and so trying to view life through the lens of people that have it worse than you, I think is something that people in small communities probably can appreciate a little bit more because you're around those people a little bit more. Um, and so it's just, yeah, it's just been kind of a love affair in my mind with, with, being a part of this, this community specifically, you know? And yeah. I don't know how you guys feel about that with yours.
1: Bert? Well, I mean, I, like I said before, I felt accepted and <clears throat> welcomed right away. Like when I first started coaching at Alta Aurelia, um, I just remember the head of the booster club came up to me and talked to me to practice and it was just super cool. And, the parents of the baseball program, that was my first sort of entry into the community was coaching. Cause I still lived in a different community. Um, and I remember just right away feeling like, man, how do I move to Alta like that? This is just like the greatest place in the world. Um, and I was just so happy when we got our house here in town and it's right by the park and the baseball field and the school. And um, my wife instantly too was like, man, I love it here. We And like, it's just our affection for, Alta and we don't live in Aurelia, but Aurelia is also part of our school district and we love Aurelia too. Like we just love the Alta Aurelia community and um, it's made me want to try to give back any way I can. You know, like I said, we wanted to help with whatever skills and abilities we have. And, you know, my wife did in-home daycare for a long time, serving families that way. And, you know, my skills and abilities are teaching and coaching. So I've tried to donate a lot of time to the Little League program and coaching kids and, um, you know, obviously being a teacher at school and stuff like that. I feel like that's my way to help. And then just trying to be attentive to my to my neighbors on my block and um, trying to look out for them. But uh, yeah, there's just something about like when, you know, my dad passed away two years ago and. The community was really great and the things people said or did and I don't know. You just felt loved at a time when you were pretty low, you know,
2: emotion. What was that like for your did your mom share stuff with you about like what people were like for her back with do any do you have siblings that live back there?
1: No, none of my siblings live in my hometown.
2: Anymore. So it was just her and your dad there?
1: Well, they didn't even live there when he died. They had moved to a nearby town because oh, okay. they needed to sell when my dad's cancer progressed they needed to sell the acreage because it was too much for my mom to take care of. Sure. So they built, they were in the process of building a house on my brother's land when my dad passed away. But my dad lived his entire life pretty much inside of the same three mile triangle. Yeah. So like his visitation was tons of people that had known my dad since he was born. Um, and just all the wonderful stories people told about him and the memories and um, one thing about my dad's family that people have always said is that they would just be very helpful with people in town. And my dad mm-hmm. had eight brothers and three sisters and people always said, oh man, if, it, if anybody needed anything, Wilbur would just send those nine boys over and they would take care of it mm-hmm. and uh, stuff yeah. like that.
0: So,
2: yeah. Do you, uh, um, I remember when they, like the playground project when we were little and they did that, yeah, yeah. going in and helping with that. Like, I don't. It just feels like something so uniquely small town like you go in and your parents and I don't know, 50 other families are all there building this huge playground. And like everyone's bringing their own tools in to build it. And like when we brought in, the, I remember my dad and some guys went and helped bring the train car back for the depot yep. and stuff like that. And I don't know, it's just it just seems like there's constantly something like that going on.
1: Yeah. When we had when we had RAGBRAI come through, was it last summer? Yep. And like, I joined Kiwanis and I can get into why I joined Kiwanis, but, um, I joined Kiwanis and we were frying, um, turkey filets. I think it was, we were, we were grilling turkey filets and like, it was just so awesome to see our community come out in a big way to welcome these thousands of bike riders. And, um, I just felt like our community was so awesome that day. Well, I mean, they're always awesome, but like we got to kind of display it to a bunch of outsiders and be welcoming and, um, there's a couple of – they ran – like, we just ran out of bottled water because, like, there were so many – people it was so hot that day. Oh, so hot. And uh, I saw these, like, three 20-year-old guys who were like, do you know where we can get some water? And I was like, just follow me to my house. <laughs> and they just walked into my house with my wife. I just go, uh, these are just three guys. I don't know them, but they need something to drink. So we're going to give them some water and send them on their way. And I was yeah. like – I think I told they, – they were super grateful. And I said, well, just when you speak of Alta, Iowa, speak well.
2: Yeah. That's all
1: I asked. Yeah. Tell, tell them how welcoming
2: we were yeah 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 that was a lot of fun yeah I would say I, the the time I probably felt most like loved and like just like new people had my back was when I went through my divorce it was a couple of very very dark years with bad thoughts and I don't think I ever would have like done anything but there were some times where it was dark and I know I had a lot of church friends who knew what was going on And we're always checking in on me, and I just, and I I mean, I'm not saying you don't get that in a city, but it seems like when someone tells you here, like, they're going to be, like, thinking of you and, like, checking in, like, they actually do it Mm -hmm. and follow up. And I had a lot of people there that, I don't know, maybe saved my life. Who knows? It It was, it was a rough time, but yeah, the church, the church has been a huge spot for me, and I feel like you maybe find some more church community support and small towns and it might just be that's because kind of the fabric of a small town america in the midwest or the south or whatnot but i that was probably the place where i felt it where i felt it most was knowing that people there were checking in on me calling me because i mean i'm super social and love to reach out to people but i just shut off the world some of those days and yeah. people were checking in and and uh yeah it was what's it like for you guys to grow up in a town where there's lots of older people who knew you when you were a little
1: kid? Because they didn't know me. I moved to here as a yeah. 30 year old.
2: Yeah. I, I think it's pretty cool.
0: I like it a lot. I yeah, I, I would say it's it's mostly mostly positive. Um
2: there can be some negatives.
0: Yeah, I mean there there's always there's you know, when you're a little brat, like yeah. you know, there's things that get carried forward a little bit, but at the same point in time it's like when you're invested and in, like in a, in, in a certain capacity, you're invested in that person, just like they're, in, they saw you grow up and so they now see you as an adult. And it's a different feeling when you see people on the street all the time that you have 30 years of experience with. Like, it's just, I don't know, it's just a very wholesome feeling to me. Like yeah. being around these people that I've been around forever and, you know, you walk through the grocery store and you're talking to everybody, like, that's not for everybody. But for me, it's like really cool to be able to say, I've got 30 years of experience with this person. You yeah, know, that is in, pretty in awesome. In some form or fashion, you know, like, I think it's, I don't, it's been really good for me that way.
1: Because like working at the school, I work with some people that were your teachers, yep. you know, and I've said things like, oh yeah, I'm hanging out with Tom Hinkle died tonight" or whatever. And <laughs> I've had teachers be like, Oh, I love Tom. He was one of my students. (laughs) Tom was the best, you know. And I don't know, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That you got these older people in the community that remember you when you were a kid and are still in your corner and on your side. And
2: Tom went to the principal's office a lot less than me back in the day.
0: I had to go a few times though.
2: Yeah. Yeah. My mom was a my mom was the teacher. And so every time I got called to the principal's office she had to come too. It was rough. (laughs) <laughs> i try to i try to make up for those times i embarrassed her by being better now yeah. that to touch on your to touch on your question uh one thing that's been as it's, it's super cool for me is my dad's dad uh died of cancer when i was uh like seven months old or something and so i never got to know him but there's still a lot of like old retired farmers or old retired business owners from Alta that he hung out with all the time back in the day played cards with and stuff and Over the years, sometimes I'll ask them questions about him or they'll say, oh, yeah, you guys are about like the same person. He was social, loved coming, playing cards and hanging out. And, you know, that experience of the from the small town aspect, getting to hear stories about him that, you know, because I never knew the guy. So it kind of helps you feel like you knew him a little bit, maybe.
1: Yeah. Like my dad's gone now and whenever somebody tells me a story about my dad that I haven't heard, I just love it. It feels like discovering a little piece of
0: him that I didn't know was there. Yeah. I love hearing stories about my dad that I didn't know before. Yeah. Another, uh, back, back to the one question. Um, another thing that's great about being in a community with all these people that you've known that, they were the city leaders. They were the contributors, the teachers, the accountants, the whatever. Everyone that kind of made the town what it is today. But maybe they step back from some of those roles today because of where they're at in life, you know, more closer to retirement stuff. It's yep. like, I find myself feeling a huge level of responsibility to them. Like, okay okay, you know, you did all this. Like I need to be doing stuff too. Like I need to be volunteering. I, I can't be all about just me. Like I need to be doing those things that you did, sitting at council meetings, doing this and that, like because it's our turn and, yep. and it's our time to do that. And, and if for not for the next generation, and if not us, who, the, if not, and us, that's, that's yeah. kind
1: of my impetus for joining Kiwanis was I was reading this book called Bowling Alone, The Decline of American Community. And it just talked – it was very sociological and statistically based. And it was talking about how all over America in communities, these organizations are dying. Mm -hmm. And it gave lots of numbers on the membership decline in things like Kiwanis, the Elks, the Rotary, the PTO, PTA, all this. Um, And it's called Bowling Alone because like bowling leagues are dying and golf leagues are dying. And we're just all pulling away from each other in community. And that book really inspired me to be like, well, the only way we're going to reverse this trend is by getting involved. Yeah. Like we have to get involved in, yeah, I know I teach a leadership <laughs> class at school and, and I'll like preach to the kids, like you can have the kind of community that you want. You just have to work for it. Mm-hmm. Like if you, it, you can't just want a nice community and hope that everybody else builds it for you and then yeah. you just get to live in it. And that you're, that you just get to reap the benefits of not, and not do the work. So trying to teach kids that like, oh, you want to have like a great little league program in your town? Like get involved. Don't just complain that other towns have better little league teams or you want to have a better town celebration, you know, event every summer. Plan it. Plan it. Get on there. Like, and I know that sounds like work, but to me, it's exciting. It means like we can literally have the kind of community that we want. Yeah. We just, we can make it happen. <clears throat> we have that ability. It's yeah. possible. Yeah. Yep. And then like, I think about all the time, like part of the reason that I try to invest a lot of time in the little league is I just want it to be a great experience for kids because I had such a fun time playing Little League growing up. And thankfully there were adults who cared and made it fun. And, um, you know, I'll go to a Little League game. Like, Tom, I've seen some of your team's Little League games, and I'm like, man, these kids don't know it, but this is some of the best times of their life. Like, yep. They're just carefree. They're playing ball with their boys. Mm-hmm. They're probably going to, like, go to the pool later or yep. have a sleepover. And it's just a great time of their life, and it's great because as adults we can create the environment for them where they can make memories and not have to worry about the heavy things in life, and they can just play baseball with their friends.
2: Yeah. <coughs> yep. yep. Yeah, I see, uh, I'll, I'll look at like old pictures of like Alta or just small towns. I love doing like random small town research and you see all the cars lined on Main Street and tons of people at the festivals and it is disheartening and sad to see like how some of them are just slowly dying, but there's it is possible to there's change There's a it. community in Kansas, I think it's called
1: Humboldt, Kansas, and it's sort of a case study on how a small community brought itself completely back to life, brought all the businesses back, um, revived itself. And, you know, I have a friend slash relative, Danny. I've talked to you about him before. Like he's gotten into real estate development, but he specializes in like small town revitalization. Like that's what he's passionate about is how do we bring these businesses back to main street? Because we've all seen the old newspapers and stuff and and it's like towns (coughs) our size with 2000 people had, a grocery store, maybe two, a department store or whatever
2: furniture store. Yeah. Stuff and like it that. just
1: looks like the gr- the coolest place to live where everything you need is on main street, a hardware store or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, I, I sometimes wonder, is that still possible? Or do we all just have to like shop at a local Walmart and order things off Amazon? Or can we actually bring that kind of economy back to small town yeah. America? Um, and I, from what I understand, Humboldt, Kansas is sort of the, the case study of, of how to do it. So I'm interested. I've read some stuff on it and I want to keep looking into it. Um, cause yeah. I, I would love to see that happen.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely possible. I think a lot of movements take four, like commitment from like four or five people, then other people see them yeah. doing it and then they want to get on board or they think, well, yeah, if that's, well, you weirdest, know, my young friend doing it, then I can do it too. The
0: weirdest cheat code I think that I've realized. Last year was my first year coaching or doing any sort of public service at all, um, and I started it, and I thought, "Oh man, this is just more work, and I'm busy," and you know, and it's the ha- the happiest I've been the last two years is. So I coached baseball, then I coached football, then I, you know, I ran for an office, and and I'm happy to serve doing that. And it's like I have been more personally fulfilled at my regular work and at everything else that I do because of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I thought it was just an obligation at that time.
1: I don't think people realize this. It's
0: not an obligation. I, at I all. tell
1: my like, leadership students when I am like the most grumpy or in a bad mood, I like force myself to try to go do something for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it like pulls, yeah. me, it pulls me out of my funk. Like, and it could be as simple as like, I'm just going to go get something for my wife or do something for one of my kids. But doing things for other people and
2: any type of community service, it is like a dopamine rush. The most fun you can have is giving, whether it's of your time or monetarily. I don't think there's anything better.
0: And for me too, it's like, it's a challenge too. It's like, if all you're ever doing is like, I'll tell you like, basically I think working just your job is like going to the gym and only doing bench press. It's like, your brain needs other lifts lifts to your body needs other lifts to like make it a well-rounded thing. And it's like, not until I started doing some of this stuff, I'm like, I'm better at my job because of like the challenges I face coaching a fourth grader that, you know, that I'm having to try to break of a habit or having to try to get him pumped up when he's down, like trying to break through to a kid or trying to solve a tough issue on a public board or something like that. Um, it makes you better at other things.
1: It's not a loaded question that I'm going to ask, but like when you're old and at the end of your life, what's, which stuff do you think you're going to be most proud of the stuff you accomplished at work or the stuff you accomplished in your community?
0: I think it's yeah. I mean, I think the things that I can already tell, it's probably the community service stuff. I mean, everyone wants to have a fulfilling career for sure, but you know, that's part of it. But I, I, it's like a well-balanced diet. Like I think, Unfortunately, our world tells us that you have to specialize in everything like like, hey, in this job, you have to just do this thing because then you're the most specialized. But your brain, our brains are more generalists. I think most of most humans are generalists by nature, but our society has gotten so specialized in everything that I think that's part of a breakdown of a community is is that we all think that someone should have to do this. It should be someone's job. And it just, when you don't have the scale, like it, it's not that way oh. out. Here. And that's why I love it. Cause I'm a generalist yeah. by nature. I love doing yeah. a lot of things.
1: But I read this book range while I was in my hermitage and it's, it's all about how generalists end up winning in the end.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's not about specialization per se. There's definitely a point in time to pursue certain things yeah. more. Yeah. But I was interested in it from a parenting perspective, like how to create, kind of well-rounded and i felt like my dad was an absolute jack of all trades which everybody knows the sayings jack of all trades master of none but they don't understand the second half of the saying where it says something like in a jack of all trades is better than a master of one or something yeah. like that nobody had, nobody <laughs> no, the second they, half they never gets they said leave that off but like yeah. my dad i felt like was good at so many different things and I saw how he was able to help a ton of people with all these different skills. My dad was a very skilled carpenter, but he could do drywall, he could do electrical, he could yeah. do exterior work, he could do interior work. And like, I just saw how many people he helped with this knowledge that he had. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, man, how do I be like that? How do I just like know? a lot of stuff. How do I learn Danish? How do I? <laughs> <laughs> You're on your way. Maybe someday there's going to be like this Danish immigrant who's like lost in rural Bro. Iowa and, like doesn't know how to get somewhere and I'm just going to roll up in my car and just speak Danish to him and get him on <laughs> and, their and way. And then he's
0: going to say, "Wow." Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and he'll say "Tak"
1: and I'll say welcome.
2: <laughs> so I'll get your I want to hear your guys' opinions on this. So my my personal uh, opinion about, you know, we there's been a lot of dark crap that's happened in the world in 2022 with school shootings and other stuff. But man, I think like what we're talking about, if there was just a revival of people caring for their communities across America, and obviously I've, you know, a man of faith. And so I think that also plays into it big time. But I think so many of these things would, could be avoided if it was just a world where, this person grew up with someone who had their back and then they in turn thought, Oh man, I want to go help with something. And all of a sudden, you know, everyone's feeling good and getting things accomplished. And so many less bad things would happen. What's, what's really interesting
1: to me is that we have never been more connected as a society in terms of like technology. It's never been easier to know about somebody else's life. And yet I feel like we've never been lonelier the connections aren't real. Mm-hmm. Just because you liked my picture on Facebook of my kids' dance recital doesn't mean you actually connected with me. Or I think we trick ourselves into thinking that we know what's going on with other people's lives. It could be like, you know, Tom could bump into me and be like, Oh, have you talked to Ped lately? Well, yeah, I saw this. And I did that. so he did this. And it's like, Yeah, you saw his social media feed. Have you connected yeah. with Adam? Yeah. Have you had a conversation with Adam? Have you checked in with Adam? How is Adam doing? And it's like, oh, I guess I haven't done that. I just saw all of Adam's life events on social media yeah. and sort of tricked myself into thinking that I have connected with Adam. Mm-hmm. When in reality, maybe Adam is super lonely.
0: Yeah.
1: It's like, I, I hate to get dark here, but like we've never been more connected as a society. And yet people are still committing suicide because they feel so lonely Mm-hmm. and disconnected from those around them and that tells me technology is not the answer yeah. it's it's human it's real human connection and loving people and investing in their lives in a real way not just liking their posts on social media mm-hmm. right or sending them a meme um it's calling them on the phone which people hate to do now like hearing their voice stopping over with a casserole or whatever and yeah. talking to them or your neighbor's out mowing. So you just go shoot the breeze with them for a while. Like, I don't know that I I agree with you, Adam. I think I'm concerned about the trend that I'm seeing where we're just pulling away from each other. And, um, we're retreating into our homes. Um, you know, I watch, I've seen these shows. I mean, this is extreme example, but I've seen these shows like doomsday preppers and, these people just want to like build these compounds with ammo and guns and they just, everybody's a threat and they're just, there's just a, this was in that book I read too. There's just a general distrust of strangers in a way that is not how it's always been in America. Mm -hmm. Like when they do these surveys in general, Americans just flat out don't trust strangers anymore and it used to be according to the to the surveys and the research you know decades ago that wasn't the case we generally believed that the people in our communities that we didn't know weren't bad people that we had to be afraid of and i don't know what changed i don't know if <clears throat> every time a kid gets abducted or something like that maybe kids are being abducted at the same rate they always have it's just in the 70s you didn't hear about it because you couldn't get the, couldn't news, get the news 24/7 yeah. like i don't know i don't know but doesn't it just feel like by and large we don't trust people we don't know even in our own communities anymore yeah yeah and i just th- i i think the answer is more connection more bridges more community more face to face interactions i don't <clears throat> i don't think it's less i yeah. think the answer is more
2: yeah i uh man I struggle a lot with my love hate relationship with social media because I'm, I know it. I am a firm believer in you have to own your life and your family. You know, it's up to your parents when you're little to help you deal with that stuff. And it shouldn't be what makes you disconnected from people. But I struggle big time with social media and how, what I feel like it's done to society, even though I still think people should own their decisions and what they do i obviously know tom's parents really well i met your mom bur a little bit never knew your dad but it seems like we all have like we all had super involved like community minded volunteer minded like selfless parents and i guess I, i'm curious to hear your guys's perspective as parents each of four now in like this era Mm-hmm. If you, I feel like our, I'm not saying our parents had it easier, but they didn't have to deal with the stuff you guys had to deal with now. And so I'm curious as to, well, I, my daughter actually brought this up to mindset. me at my
1: son and daughter's t-ball game tonight. She said to me, dad, I think I'm the only kid in my class who doesn't have a cell phone and she's going in your sixth grade. And I go, uh-huh. <laughs> and that's not going to change. I told her a long time ago, yeah. kid, you, I said a long time ago, I said, you need to be prepared to be the last kid in your class that will get a cell phone. Um, and I mean, it's all I, good. I'm really concerned about cell phones and technology. And the thing that concerns me is when you and I were kids and we had a problem with a kid at school, we could go home and get away from that kid and not have to see him again until 8 o'clock the next day. Yeah, And I don't think kids can get away from each other anymore. Because if you have that phone, um, I know stuff happens where kids get sent a screenshot of some other kids text message conversation where they were ragging on you or talking down about you. And it's like, man, you can't even get away from it. Yeah. If you have these cell phones and kids can text each other and say mean things and
0: I'm very nervous. I, I don't, I don't worry so much. I I think that, that we're doing our best to like teach our kids, good decision-making habits and stuff and that they'll make the right decisions. I worry the most now, like I went through most of high all of high school and good part of college where there wasn't Snapchat or Twitter or Facebook yeah. where stuff was just, I just worry about kids making minor mistakes that haunt them forever. Um, yeah. You know, it, cause that's, it's a got, it's a gotcha society today a little bit where the, sometimes the worst thing someone ever did was write a bad remark on Twitter and, And they can't get a job. You know, it's like. And even if they're a
2: completely different person now than when they did that. The
0: pressure on these kids is so much more um, than it ever used to be, Um, I think, too. So as much as we want, a lot of people want to say it's like uh, kids these days, I'm like, wow, they got a lot harder than we did. I think um, they're pressured to do a lot more a lot sooner. And most of the mistakes they may make today could be captured. Um, instantaneously and I think kids, held over them. I think you know?
1: kids have it easier in terms of probably manual labor and stuff like yes. that. I think they have it way worse in terms of like things that cause anxiety. Yes. Like I can't imagine how anxious I would have been as a kid knowing I could be made fun of all the time. I could be texted at something mean by somebody. I could do something dumb and people could just bombard me with it. Yeah. Um, that people could send me pictures of mean things other people had said about me, or subtweet me, or make vague posts that I know are about me, yeah. And I have to see it. Like that's where I think kids have it harder. Is like it's emotionally, yeah, in my opinion.
0: And art, and I do think that we all we the society, if you want to call it that, has a problem with like you mentioned <laughs> about strangers and and that none of us assume good faith of the other party anymore, ever. It's like we start skeptical immediately. It's like if someone makes an off-color comment to me, my first assumption generally is they didn't mean it that way. Like, you know, like that person, they they like me. Or even if they don't like me, they're trying to be a good person. I took it the wrong way because of this or that circumstance in my life. And I'm going to assume that they didn't mean to offend me. Whereas most anymore, and I'm even guilty of it now too. Just the way it's gone, it's like we want to take that one comment, that one tweet, that one this, that one that, and just say bad person. And I don't know. I just it could be
1: I could be misattributing the quote, but I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said, "I don't like that man. I should get to know him."
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Yeah, like what you were saying. One of the um, podcasts that I listened to a radio show then they put it out in podcast format and it's like a five million people listen every day and this guy's i really admire him because his job every day is to basically just put his opinions and thoughts and stuff out to millions of people and half of them are just going to destroy him every day but he's so he's just so like uh mature about like saying well I assume the majority, he said, the majority of people that come after me, they're probably just having a bad day. I'm not going to judge them by that. They might have had something going on in their life. Obviously, there's going to be someone who's just always grumpy and looking to start stuff. But that's something that I feel like, personally, I've gotten a little bit better at as I got older. I just, I mean, first of all, just not really caring much what people think anymore. And just being able, someone criticizes me or says something, I just smile at them and say thanks or something. But yeah, he's... It's kind of like what you were saying, it's like when you used to assume, oh, they didn't, they didn't mean it that way, or maybe they're having a bad day, or I took it wrong. I think, man, it's rare, and it's something that sh- we need to try to make common. Is someone lashes out, just take a deep breath, let it breathe, and then maybe they'll come back and apologize, or maybe they were just having a crap day. Ninety
1: nine times out of hundred, it didn't have anything to do with you. Yep. Yeah. Like I've learned that a lot as a as an educator working with teenagers, because teenagers can be pretty rude, um, and. It's almost always the case. It had nothing to do with me. Yeah. Now you hold them accountable for the behavior at school, mm-hmm. but you also need like I've had kids get in trouble with me and it's like you stick around after class. You got to talk about it and it's like, yeah, this is stemming from some other area of your life that you're really upset about or anxious about and you just were had a short fuse with me. Let me tell you why I don't appreciate that and why you and I need to be good to each other. But also, hey, man, are you doing okay? Like, I'm not going to take it personally. You're a kid. I'm an adult. I'm not taking it personally. But can I help you out so that you don't make it a habit of lashing out at other people? Because that's going to not be good for you if that's how you interact in the workplace and stuff. But it's. I had to learn early on in my education career, like not to take almost anything a teenager says or does personally. Yeah. You address the behavior, but you don't take it personally. Yeah.
0: yeah,
2: yeah, and I think it's important that obviously, I know we all realize, but I think when people when we're talking about this stuff, we realize that at some point, like everything we're talking about right now, we're going to be a hypocrite at some point yeah. and fall yeah. short, like for sure. We we try to do our you try to do your best with this stuff, but know that you're not going to be perfect at it. You're always going to fall short. You know, we're sinners. It's what we do.
0: Yeah, and that's that's where it's like I'm appreciative of good friends that'll call me out on that at times too. It's like you know I'm I think man enough to be able to recognize that yeah I'm not going to make the right decisions all the time, and Mm -hmm. uh, I hope that there's people in everyone's life that that are able to. Have that frank conversation and kind of get you back in check a little
2: bit. Accountability is is uncomfortable at times. It's hard to hold people accountable. It's even harder to have a conversation with someone and try not to sound like you're judging them while be like being an accountability partner. But that if yeah, you got to have those people in your life, and you got to be able to receive it and not hear it as judgment, and just try to mutual growth both ways. So
1: I think a mature person understands this concept. And I mean, this is a a Bible verse, but wounds from a friend can be trusted. So like my best friend in high school, Derek, we kind of had a, a saying it was from like an emo song, but when we had to tell one of the, one of us had to tell the other one, a really hard truth, we would say best friends means you pulled the trigger. Ah, Say it. Yeah. And, Again, wounds wounds from a friend can be trusted. Um, I knew with Derek, and at times he had to tell me some hard things about things I was saying or doing that were hurtful. I knew Derek is not telling me this to twist the knife. Derek is telling me this because he wants to see the best for me, and this behavior is not what's best for me. And so you always have to consider who's saying it. Do they love you? Do they have the best your best interest at heart. And if so, like put your guard down and listen to what they're saying.
0: Have the humility, right? Right. Like,
1: I mean, the number one example for me is like my wife, like my wife, my wife tells me I'm, I'm being a jerk. Like I have to, I have to listen to that and it hurts to hear that. But like, come on, man, consider the source. Does anybody love you more? (laughs) No, nobody loves you more than her. So maybe listen to what she's saying. Yeah. And, and if you're going to have deep, meaningful friendships, you can't you can't penalize your friends when they have the guts to tell you something yeah. difficult. I always feel like, OK, I learned something from that friend like that's somebody I can trust. Mm-hmm. They had the guts to tell me something crappy about me in a in a helpful way. And I, and I usually the first thing I usually think is I bet that was really hard for them to say.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I bet that was, and I need to respect the fact that they, they took a risk by telling me Mm -hmm. or confronting me on that. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like it deepens the friendship because I'm like, (coughs) all right, I can trust this dude, Mm
2: -hmm. you know? Yeah. I'm a, I am a, a big advocate of therapy. I did it. uh, I don't remember how long, but when I was going through my divorce, I did it with my ex wife and then also on my own for a little bit afterwards. But that was probably my biggest takeaway from, therapy was uh being able to receive if i have no i think i'm i'm thankful that i have friends who are aren't afraid to tell me things but that was my biggest takeaway was being able to receive constructive criticism or truth and not getting defensive because when i went into therapy i was thinking like all right this is going to be awesome all the ways that i'm right and they're wrong and it was just totally the opposite and i was taught to you can only control yourself. You got to own what you're doing and try to make what you're doing better. Even if your situation sucks and maybe you are being wrong, but you can only control yourself. Right. So my assistant coach is
1: probably the, been one of the biggest people that's helped me with self growth because he's just brutally honest, but he's also, I think he's gracious. Um, He, he's just, he's very honest coach Dupik. But he also can take the honesty And he's just a high level communicator. Most, you know, most men that I know can't communicate honestly on the level that he can and just say some really brutal things. But I also feel like he's become one of my closest, dearest friends um, who I can trust has my best interest at heart because not only has he said some really brutally honest things to me he's made me a better coach because of those conversations, but he's also been there for me in some big ways. Like when my dad died for the first time, I really struggled with motivation to coach baseball. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, that was a darkness. Like I'd never experienced before. I felt like I was not myself for a full year Yeah, and I, it, it's weird, but it was just hard to find the meaning in things. It was like, yeah, I could have a really good pitching practice tonight, but what does it matter? My dad's dead. Yep, my dad's not coming back. Like, does this really matter? Mm-hmm. And then I would just kind of go through the motions. But um, thankfully, Coach Dupik like hold the fo- held the fort down for me. Like he planned all the pitching practices. I just had to show up and coach. Um, and now I feel like I'm totally back to myself, and I see the meaning in a lot of things. But man, for like a year, I was like in a fog. And thank God for him. And so like, yeah, he said some really brutally honest things to me about things that I need to improve on. But the guy showed up for me in a huge way, which is why I can trust when he says those difficult things that he does care about me. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's saying them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned about, um, feeling that what's the meaning of this after kind of the loss. And, um, I would say like, you know, right after, you know, my experience right after those things, you hear people, they, they say what they can say, right They're, you know, time will heal, like you'll get better. And yeah. And while I don't agree, I don't think time ever heals. Um, like I missed my brother today, just like I missed him the first day he was gone. However, I think time, I think we text about this a little bit. Time, what it has done is it allows your faith to actually kick in. So when you say the things right away, that's like, he's in a better place. You can say those things and think that you mean them, but you don't. Like, at least viscerally for me, my body did not believe those things. It's like, no, he should be here. Like, this shouldn't have happened. Like, his life, you know, he should be here. Well, now, 22 years later, for me, like, I think about it, and while it hurts that he's not around, I would never wish him back because of faith. And, I don't know. I hope that helps like over the years for you too, Burke is like you think about it and you're like, I do believe what I believe and I know where he's at and I'm just excited as heck to join him whenever that day is because this is super temporary, you know, this whole existence, super temporary. Mm -hmm. And I found meaning then knowing that it's temporary. It's like, okay, I only have a limited amount of time to like, See, Try that, to help the most people. Yeah, see, that you know motivates I me. Mean? Like, yeah. my
1: dad's death made me realize, like, man, the clock's ticking. Yep. I don't have a lot of time. Like, I got to get going. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to be morbid, but I've always kind of thought that I wasn't going to live very long. And I don't know why. That's yeah. this weird thing to think. Um, but I, I feel like, well, I got to get going. Like, this baseball field renovation thing that I've been working so hard on was like, I could have said, like, ah, eh, why don't you wait till you're like 40 something yeah. wait till you've coached here for like 15 years. And I'm like, no, what if I'm like, not even the coach in 15 years? Like yeah. what if I die? What if, what if I get cancer and I can't coach? Like I got to go right now. Like we got to do this now. We got to make things better. Now we can't, yep. we can't put off progress. <clears throat> we can't put off doing something great for the community because well, there'll be time later. Like you just don't know. There might not be any time later. Yep. And yep. Yeah. You got my dad's death made me realize like I got to get going. Yep, Time is ticking.
2: Yep. It's time to go. Yep. Yeah. Do you want to, Um, you should, you want to touch on the baseball project a little bit? I mean, it's going right along with what we're talking about. Yeah. For
1: me, it would just felt like my way to help the community. Um,
2: In I, ways I, maybe you've seen a ton of other people step up to and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Like this thing doesn't
1: happen without the community. I felt like, what my role has been is just trying to cast a vision and let people know what we could accomplish together. Like that, that it was possible for us to do this together. And, you know, whenever people say like, uh, Oh man, you've raised so much money. I'm like, I haven't really raised it very, a, a tiny, tiny sliver of the, those donations actually came from my pocket. I've just tried to cast a vision about what we could do together and how awesome it would be for the kids and then um, I've tried to c- provide an avenue for those that feel called to do something. Yeah. Um, I think I said in one of my Facebook posts, like my job is not to get people to part with their hard earned money at all. We all work very hard for our money and you should put it towards the things that you're passionate about. My job was for those that are passionate about Altarulia baseball how do I provide an opportunity for them to express that passion? That's it. That's, yeah. that's what I'm trying to accomplish. Me personally, I kind of set three goals for myself as the coach of Altaralia baseball. I wanted to m- have tons of positive relationships with high school baseball players, like to, to leave a legacy of being there for kids and have it, making it a fun experience. I wanted to bring this community, a state championship someday, and I wanted to leave the facilities better than I found them. Those are my three goals. And so, um, those are the three things I feel like I'm always working on positive relationships with my players, trying to win a state championship for this community and building a better baseball field
2: for uh, I think we have a lot of, a lot of listeners that maybe aren't familiar with uh, for, with the project, but just for some context, can you tell me how long it's been going on and what, and the money raised just so people can maybe understand it better. The idea
1: came a long time, many years ago. um, And I could see, so they built this really great baseball field in the mid nineties, the whole comp- the great complex. But you know, my corner of the complex is the high school baseball field. And like my dad always said, as soon as you build something, mother nature gets to work tearing it down with weather. And I could start to see some mortar kind of separating. And I know how hard everybody worked in the mid nineties to build it. And I wanted to see it repaired before it fell into disrepair like the time to fix your car is not when you're broken down on the side of the road. It's when the check engine light comes on. Mm -hmm. So I could kind of see that like, yeah, technically it's still great, but we're getting close to where it's not going to be great. And I don't want it to get to that point. I want to honor the the men and women that did this in the nineties by updating it now, not when it's a problem. And so I started to think about it and then work on some 3d modelings and then COVID hit and it didn't feel like the right time to ask for donations because none of us really knew how this would impact all of our incomes and and budgets so I just kind of sat on it and then we kind of I understand COVID's still out there but it felt like our community was kind of getting back to normal and I had talked to people like Tom and some other people in town and showed them the renderings and said do you guys think it's a good time to go for this and they all said yeah I think I remember specifically Tom said, Ryan, there's a group of us that are kind of at this age. We're doing well in our careers. Our kids are young and they're in, in this stuff. And we want to make – we want to do something big for our communities. Like I think you should go for this. So I went to the school board and and there was a group of initial kind of donors that had given me – about uh, that had pledged about $8,000. So when I went to the school board to ask if I could start this project, I was at a t- able to tell them like we basically got a head start. I already got eight grand. We're not yeah. even starting from zero. right? And so the school board was like, all right, go for it. And then within a year, we had raised $166,000. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. So, and that that was through just so, so many different people helping out and businesses. And we're going to be able to do it for that budget too because of local businesses that are going to do the work for a discount or, or to help out. Like they're just – everybody's coming on board to do this for the kids. It's really cool. And I just feel privileged to just kind of be the – I don't know the messenger or the yeah. the person trying to just continually point to how that we can do this. We can, we can do whatever we want in our community. We can just make it happen. We have mm-hmm. those kind of people here.
2: I think it's been a good symbol too, to, I mean, it, I mean, whether it's a baseball field renovation or whatever it is, if you come together mm-hmm. as a small community, um, not only can you get it done, but if through your hard work and dedication to it, other people notice because you've gotten some major league baseball organizations yeah, to donate. And I think they specifically donated to that because, I mean, I think a lot of them it was over months of conversation, but mm-hmm. once they saw like, wow, this community really gives a crap, they're actually doing this. And so we want to be a part of it too. And so if you work hard, it you know, it shows with, you know, major corporations like that. Yeah. I hope, I hope people in our community see this
1: baseball field project when it's done, and they go, "Cool, what's next?" Yeah, and so you know, my passion is baseball. I hope somebody else whose passion is something else in town goes, "Let's do that for this." And our community just starts looking around, going, "All right, what are we going to tackle next? What else are we going to make great for for ourselves and our kids, so that we can all have a better life here in Alta or really,
2: yeah." Mm-hmm. It's fun to watch history repeat, so yep. because like I remember when the when the complex was done the first time, like your dad, my dad, and other people were doing it, and now stuff's happening again, and now we're all. I don't have kids, but I've helped a little in little ways, but now like you're out there doing stuff for your kids like your dad did for you, and it's it's cool to see the cycle well, repeat itself.
0: To me, that's what again back to community. That's what to me it's given me more of a. Purpose than anything else is like just the legacy of like someone else did this for me like i'll be damned if i'm not gonna give that opportunity times two you know yeah. to, to our kids and not just mine any like it, it, it yes would i be coaching a third grade baseball <laughs> team if my son wasn't on it probably not however like i love all of his teammates on his league teams and his travel teams and they've like i'm just as invested in those kids as anyone else. And it's, I don't know, it's just really fun to be that close. And in in some places you play on one team one year, and then you don't see that kid again for two years or whatever. And it's like here, it's like, I get to see all these kids as they grow up and as they become adults. And hopefully I've played some sort of small role in in their development and how they view life and how they view problems. And that's what sports are all about. It's right. We're teaching kids how to deal with loss. We're teaching kids how to deal with, you know, deal with winning even too. It's like you, they get to learn the skills of being an adult at a really early age while they're still having fun. And I don't know. That's, that's why these projects as much as some people might there's certain probably people out there. It's like, oh, it's just for sport. It's like, no, no, we're, we're raising, we're trying to raise men and women here and yeah. they get to do that through sport. You know, I remember
1: having a conversation with our little leaguers at a, a winter thing this year. We were playing one of those games on hit tracks and a kid <coughs> hit an absolute rope and it went right to one of the digital fielders and he caught it and the kid was bummed. And I kind of use it as an experience. I go, guys, Sometimes you do everything right and it still doesn't work. out. I remember when you said that. Yeah. I said, dude, you freaking smoked that ball. You just absolutely nailed it. And it went right to that fielder and you didn't do anything wrong. And it still didn't work out. And I go, and we got to handle that. Well, we, our teammates need to be able to look at us and say that didn't go well, but we're going to be okay. Like he's not worried. And I go, you can show up every day to work, work super hard and something outside of your control. Like, I don't know something your industry becomes more obsolete and you did everything right and you still get downsized and you get laid off.
0: Yeah.
1: And I'm saying this like a bunch of fourth graders. And I'm like, <laughs> and your family needs to be able to look at you and say, "Oh, he's not worried. We're going to be okay." Yeah. Like we got to practice that now. To yep. just being calm for the people around us or being confident for the people around us. And we can do that through sports.
0: It's probably not the yeah. best way to do it like throwing a kid in a steel mill. So, using sports to like get kids used to that. <laughs> It's not Ron Swanson here. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he goes, uh, what do he say to Amy Poehler? He sit there, he "When just, I was
1: nine, <laughs> I was foreman of a sheet metal factory or something like that."
0: <laughs> he goes, "And I was also doing this." And, and then he
1: <laughs> said, "Child labor laws are ruining this country." <laughs>
0: <laughs> but then he says to her, "He goes, he's something like, don't do two things half-assed. Do one thing full-assed, you know." Uh, but anyways, it's that's a good, that's it's a good I line.
2: Would. I thought of something while you were while you were talking about how you, um, like because you're a coach now, you love all of his teammates, you know, like they're your own kid. and You want to see things happen for them. And um, it made me think of something how when you grow up and you kind of have your core group of friends, and especially if you stay in a small town like this, people start having kids and different things happen at different times. And there's been times in my life where I've like found myself jealous that – well, they're not going to hang out with me as much now because they're doing this other stuff and they're getting to know other people because of events their kids are in. Yeah, and I had to stop myself one day, and I was like, "Well, this is just like what I do at. It's just like what I do at church. I try to know as many people as humanly possible at church, so I can have a relationship with all of my church body. And it's the same outside of that. I tried to. I had to stop myself and say, "This is like an opportunity. Like, yeah." You get to know other people. You're yeah. still going to have your core group of friends. You might not be able to see each other quite as much, but not staying in like a small little—I uh, don't want to call it a clique, but maybe like a comfort zone. Yeah, like you're getting to know people through your son's sports that you didn't know. I'm sure Burke the same. And like, it's just an opportunity for people when your friends go to different stages of life to get to know other people and then just build the, the thing community, is
0: the, the capital. And I people come and go from small communities too. Yeah. But not with as much frequency. And so, like, when you have that experience with a, a family you've never hung out <clears> with, and you're two hours between a game on a Saturday and you're sitting in a tent having a brat, just getting to know them a little bit or whatever, like, and I could see how in some settings in a large community, it's like, well, we're with this team for this year and then I may never see this person again. Well, here you're building a relationship and you're putting money into that relationship. You know, you're putting little crumbs into that investment, investments, yeah, into that relationship. That yeah, maybe you won't be around them as much much next year, but they're going to be here continually, and and that's a relationship that's going yeah. to build in some way or or fashion, even if it's slowly. That has value, and to me, that there's just such a warmth to that to that feeling. You know,
2: yeah, right on. Yeah.
1: Life is a team sport. It's one of my favorite sayings.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, that's a great saying
2: it's amazing how fast the time goes when you're having a good, deep, fun combo. It's Good, good deep combo this week, boys. Yeah, so you guys have anything else to add? Got all the time
1: in the world. I'm good. I'm. I thoroughly enjoyed this. I think it's something we're all passionate about. And you know what? People that live in big cities might say, "Oh, you have no idea. Big cities are just like this. We just have you know everybody on my block." Maybe like yeah. I'm. I'm not trashing big cities. I do believe that small towns do get looked down on. And so I wanted to talk about this to, I don't know, kind of stick up for small towns and say, you know, we're great too. It's not like we're not the place that everybody moves away from and forgets about and goes to the big city and and that we're dying and stuff like, no, small towns are great and we're thriving and and there's so many super good positives about them. And that doesn't mean there's not positives about cities. I just think we all wanted to highlight the great things about small towns because we don't think they're talked about enough. Yeah,
0: for sure. And I'd say, too, my thing is is uh, if you happen to be living in a small town or even in a big town, volunteer for the thing. Do the thing. Take, jump off that cliff and 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 dive in. Because, Stop waiting
1: for other people to yeah, make your town great. Yeah.
0: I mean, whether mm-hmm. you can be in Urbandale or in Aurelia really, uh, here in this, like it, I mean, I'm not preaching. I'm not perfect. It's just it's helped me a lot. It, I, and, and I'm coming to it from be selfish about it. Like, do it because it's going to make you better because it, it's really been a benefit reading
1: that book uh bowling alone is what prompted me to join kiwanis i was like i was reading this going holy crap this is me it's my generation we stopped caring how do i okay i can't control anybody else in my generation only me i'm gonna join a community organization and like i'm the youngest member of kiwanis by far by like 20 years um if if you're in your community right now and you're my age you're mid-30s whatever like go join something, get off the sidelines, go do it. Like yeah. I need people in my community, my age to join Kiwanis. These, the older people in Kiwanis, they're like my role models. They're so great. Like they do so many things for kids in our community. And um, I just want to be like them when I'm their age. And I, I, I enjoy going to the meetings and sorting pop cans on the, in the mornings when I'm able to do that. And I'm learning from them how to take care of my community. They are my role models. Yeah
0: well said
2: yeah i think if anybody out there is listening or uh has questions or wants to join something and isn't in something tom knows lots of things you could do burke does tom's (laughs) on the
1: school board i do
2: we we got plenty of people we could point you in the right direction or uh you can always volunteer on my farm
1: take that casserole over to your neighbor yeah Yeah. Connect.
2: connect scoop their driveway this winter yeah
1: do something help somebody
2: right on for sure all right what number did i say 67 in the beginning all right.
0: How do you say that in
2: Danish?
0: Ooh, I can't I can only <laughs>
1: count past ten. I'll give you a little Danish one through ten. You ready?
0: Yeah. yeah. Hit, it. Hit
1: it. Hit it. You ready?
2: Do you know how to say "hot hut in Danish?
1: It to try fiaflimp six soup od nit di. That's one through ten. That's amazing. amazing. In Danish "hot hut is just "hot hut. <laughs> right.
2: We're out.